Many of us are familiar with the Baal Shem Tov's teaching based on this week's parasha that if a person sees the donkey of someone we hate struggling under its load, we dare not leave it and we have to assist it. Baal Shem Tov says that's talking about our own body and animal soul battling under the load of Torah and mitzvahs and we're not supposed to destroy the body through fasts or the like but rather build it up. We're going to see that Rashi's insight into this Pasuk helps us understand the Baal Shem Tov's teaching in a completely different way. So both Rashi and the Mechil to comment on this Pasuk initially it seems that they're both saying the same thing. It turns out that they really aren't. Even Pasuk The Pasuk that says if you see the donkey of the person you hate struggling under its love, you might consider avoidance and not getting involved to help, says the Torah, you certainly have to assist. Michilta says as follows, that it's actually telling us that there are certain times where you can avoid assisting and other times where you have to help. And then it explains or gives examples in Hebraic. So the Mechilta offers two scenarios where a person is exempt and can step back and say, I'm not going to help. The first one is Aleph. The donkey belongs to a Jewish person. But the, the, the load on the donkey belongs to a non-Jewish person. Then you have to assist. Whereas if it's reversed, if the donkey belongs to a non-Jewish person, but the load belongs to a Jewish person, then you can step back and say, I'm not getting involved. That's one example. The other example the Michilta gives is, if it's a koyen and he sees that the donkey is in a, in a cemetery, he may not assist. The Kohen is allowed to desist. He's allowed to say, I'm not getting involved. So that's the Mechilta's two examples. The load belongs to a Jewish person. The donkey belongs to a non-Jewish person. All the donkeys wandering in a cemetery. Then a person could step back. Now, Rashi, in his commentary on the Torah, quotes this drasha, But we're going to see he presents it quite differently. First of all, firstly, Rashi explains the Pasuk in its simplest terms, which is, as the Pesorim from Pasuk is, what, how should you read the Pasuk? Maybe you'll encounter the donkey of somebody you hate struggling under its load. You might think that that, because it's somebody you hate, gives you the rights not to help. So the Pshat is the Torah telling you, get over yourself and go and help him. Bring the Rufa Dugma from Pasuk. And he illustrates from another Pasuk that shows this kind of thinking. That if you will say the, the enemy armies are much greater than ours, how could we stand up to them? And there too the Torah says, Don't follow your thinking, but don't fear them. So that's the first thing Rashi says. You might have thought you could ignore him, but you may not. Then is Rashi Mamshech. Then Rashi quotes what seems to be the Mechilta. The, the more Midrashic interpretation, as our rabbis explained it, is as follows. When you see the donkey, sometimes you can step back and not assist. Sometimes you don't have to help. Sometimes you do have to help. What are the examples Rashi gives? Let's say that it's an older person and it's beneath their dignity to get involved with offloading a donkey. Then they are exempt. Or alternatively, the one that Mechilta says, if the animal belongs to a non-Jewish person, even if the load belongs to a Jewish person, then you're exempt from happening. 
So in this case, let's understand why Rashi presents differently to the Michilta. Instead of using the example the Michilta uses, the one way you're exempt from assisting is if you're a Kohen and the donkey's in a place you're not allowed to go in the cemetery. Instead, he gives the example that it's a person who's older and it's beneath their dignity. Why does he change from the Michilta's example? Now, what's intriguing about this is that that is an example that Michilta brings in a completely different context. It is true that both the Michilta and the Gemara use the example of a person who is an older person and it's beneath their dignity to get their hands dirty. Where? If Abarifan Pasak on a different Pasak, which is that you shouldn't turn a blind eye if you see that your friend's animal is wandering around and is lost. And there too, the Gemara says, sometimes you can turn a blind eye. For example, if the person is a Koyan and the lost animal is in a cemetery, he doesn't have to get involved. Or he is an older person and it's beneath his dignity to start leading an animal back. Then he is exempt. So he's Tomor, that's really strange. Why does Rashi leave out the example that the Mechilta uses for our Pasuk, the one about the Koyan and the, and the cemetery? And instead he uses a different example of the older person who finds it beneath his, beneath his dignity. Which the Chazal refers specifically to a different scenario described in a different Pasuk. Why would Rashi do that? In addition, there's two other questions on Rashi. In the Mechilta's list, we first address the possibility of a donkey that belongs to a non-Jewish person carrying a load that belongs to a Jewish person. And then the example of, well, in Mechilta's case, the Koyan and the cemetery. Whereas Rashi leaves what the Mechilta uses as the first example for the second example, why? Question two, Bayes. Also, Rashi really wants to tell us about the times where you're exempt from helping. So why does he also use the expression, which is the expression in the Mechilta, but doesn't seem to fit Rashi, that sometimes you do have to help. So, it makes sense why the Mechilta gave both sides of the argument. Because the language of sometimes you have to help and sometimes you're exempt from helping fits the message of the Mechilta. Because the Mechilta gives two scenarios, Jewish-owned donkey or non-Jewish-owned donkey. So because the Mechilta gives both possibilities, so then it makes logical sense to say, in the one scenario you have to help, and in the other scenario you're exempt from helping. Whereas Rashi only uses the example where the animal begin, belongs to a non-Jewish person and therefore you're exempt. He only talks about one side of the story. So his voice far not hot to zogen Why would Rashi then mention and sometimes you have to help? If Rashi is not going to talk about the times where you have to help, his entire interpretation is only focused on the times you're exempt from helping. So why mention something which is actually misleading? And if you want to argue that Rashi wants us to know that generally there is a requirement sometimes to help people in distress when the animal's in distress. Well, it's not just my first impossible. The pasuk already told us that very clearly. 
And if Rashi was referring to the Pasuk telling us that it's a mitzvah to help, he definitely shouldn't be saying that sometimes there's a mitzvah to help because the language of the Pasuk seems to indicate that it's always a requirement to help. So let's start off by suggesting a reason, perhaps why Rashi didn't want to use the example that Mechilta did of a koyen and the animals in the, in the cemetery. Possibly the reason why Rashi doesn't want to give, give the example of the koyen where the animals in the, in the cemetery, possibly we can give a good halachic basis for why Rashi avoided that. Because Why is a koyen not required to fulfill a positive mitzvah in the Torah to help somebody's donkey in distress? Well, the reason for that is, well, by Tumas Koyen, that's because he will then become impure, and that invokes is both the transgression of a prohibition in the Torah and not fulfilling a positive mitzvah in the Torah. On the far, so, so he's got he's not allowed to become impure, and he's got Kadoshim too, he's got to be a, or whatever the, the, the Lashon is, he's got to be a holy individual. The far is moving me at smoy, bepashtus, as is vet nit nitre durche nasei for nazoif tazevimoy. Everybody knows that the way Torah works is a single positive mitzvah can never override a mixture of a positive and a negative mitzvah. So the kohen can't walk into the cemetery. So therefore, bring to snit Rashi. Rashi doesn't want to include that in this conversation. Because that won't be information we extract out of the word v'chadalta, which appears to be an unusual word in the Pasuk, which is why Rashi is interpreting it. The fact that a coin can't go into the cemetery is because of a broader halachic issue that one single mitzvah doesn't override a double mitzvah. Let's even see how this is when the Gemara talks about turning a blind eye to the lost animal, where it says, Sometimes you may turn a blind eye. When the Gemara drills down into it, it tells us we only need the Pasuk to excuse a person who feels that he's too old or too dignified for this kind of a job. But the Gemara does not use that Pasuk to tell us that a coin doesn't have to go into a cemetery to retrieve a lost animal because we already know this. Likewise, the Gemara doesn't have to drill down into the whole cheshbon of, you know, who's going to lose more money if this person helps him out. So maybe that's Rashi's reason to exclude the example of the Koyen and the cemetery because it's got nothing to do with this Pasuk. It has to do with a principle that applies to any mitzvah saseh that comes up against a mitzvah saseh and a mitzvah loy saseh. That's what we'd like to explain. Thing is, we actually can't say that Rashi believes as the Ptur from Beda Falun Vet Obgilan from Pasuk Vichodalta. We shouldn't believe that Rashi extracts the law of either where the animal is a non-Jewish owned animal and the load belongs to a Jewish person or the case of the person who's older and it's beneath his dignity. Neither one of those is Rashi getting out of the word Vichodalta anyway. On their fire, Brengtenitim Falfun Hoyabenak Forest, which would have been our reason to say, but you can't learn the, the coin out of a Chodalta because you already know the coin from elsewhere. Well, Rashi's not learning any of it out of a Chodalta. How do we know Rashi's not learning it out of a Chodalta? Because it's a stretch to say you learn two completely different scenarios from a single word. First of all, we'll still have our question, why does Rashi use an example that Mechilta didn't use? But we'll have a far bigger question. 
If you have one extra word in the Pasuk, how can you How could that produce two completely different halachas, or in this case, two different exemptions? The one that there's an exemption for an older person who might find it undignified. Which tells us a principle that rescuing an animal from distress is not powerful enough to override human dignity. And then that if the animal belongs to a non-Jewish person, even if the load belongs to a Jewish person, which teaches us another totally different principle that what determines how or when you help an animal in distress is not based simply on the physical pain of the animal and our prohibition against causing pain to an animal. Because if it was an issue of the animal suffering, then we don't care whose animal it is. We have a responsibility to alleviate the suffering. Therefore, it's clear that Rashi is learning two different halachas. He can't learn two different halachas out of a single word, v'chadalta. In that case, it can't be that Rashi extracted these examples out of v'chadalta. So why can't he use the example of the coin and the base akvaris? So it's clear that the word v'chadalta is not the source of how there are these two exemptions we've just quoted. And yet Rashi quotes them both together. Because they are both examples of where you may step back and desist from helping. But it's not from the word V'chadaltis We're back to square one with our question. Why doesn't Rashi include a third possibility, which is a koyan at the cemetery? Okay, so in order to understand that, let's ask a more basic question. Why is Rashi getting into examples in the first place? Let's understand why Rashi had to give examples. Because of Afrat, when you consider as when the Pasuk we've already learned that describes that sometimes you may turn a blind eye to somebody's lost animal. Zakt Rashi, Rashi says simply over there, Rabbi say no our sages taught, sometimes you don't have to go chasing the animal. You can turn a blind eye. It doesn't tell us examples of when it is that you could turn a blind eye. Nor bagnugenzich mit vachule, just says etc., which basically means go do the research on your own. And it would really be a stretch to say, well, much later on in Parshas Kiseitzei, that Rashi didn't get into examples in Parshas Kiseitzei, in the book of Devorim, because of information he gives us here in Parshas uh, in Pashas Mishpatim. That really doesn't make sense. Obefrat, especially as Aleph, Doretzach, Vegan Chiv Prika, and Dot, Vegan Nashag, Basaveda. Besides which, here we're talking about the laws associated with offloading an animal, and there we're talking about the laws associated with returning a lost object. They're not the same laws. There's no reason that the examples are necessarily the same, or that you can extrapolate one from the other. So there's no good reason for Rashi to only give examples in the one case and not in the other. And second of all, Bayes, that Sveta Falin Rashi Dobem, the whole concept Rashi quotes over here, of an animal that belongs to a non-Jew, but the load belongs to a Jew, pasnit it has no application in the case of a lost animal. Because you would never be allowed to turn a blind eye to somebody else's property, no matter where it is, another Jew's property. No matter if it's a, if it's a, a load on an animal or whatever. So we have to conclude, and this is not a surprise, it's something we know, 
Seeing as Rashi's mandate is to give us an understanding of what the words of the Psukim, the verses in the Torah mean, it's not his mandate to teach us details about areas of halacha. So all Rashi has to tell us, as it does in the case of Hashav Saveda, just tell us the part that is relevant to understanding what the Pasuk is telling us, which is that you shouldn't turn a blind eye, but there are situations where you may turn a blind eye. And it's not my job to tell you what those situations are because I'm not a book, book of Aloha. So now, if Rashi does give examples in our case of offloading an animal when you are exempt, and that proves those examples will help us understand what the Pasuk is saying. They won't they're not just simply to tell us the practical application of the law. They help us to understand the context of the Pasuk and we need to know how. And of course, in order to answer that, let's get back to, so what is Rashi's question on this Pasuk? The explanation goes like this. What is difficult to understand about the Pasuk saying, if you see or when you see somebody's animal struggling and v'chodalta, which includes the possibility that you might not help, is nit no mitzadim The problem with understanding this is not firstly the tangled language that the Pasuk seems to use. If you go with a pshat which Rashi first offers, that v'chodalta is, you might think that you don't have to help. Then the word ki in the Pasuk, which means perhaps, perhaps this will happen, is no longer ki sire if you should see, which would be the most logical thing, ki, and is then followed by the word sire. So if you should see, actually shouldn't be read that way. If you will think that you don't have to help. Question mark, question mark. But besides that question, the real question that bothers Rashi is the content of what the Pasuk is telling us. Because the time Let's ask ourselves a question. How many times in the Torah does the Torah address the possibility that you might not want to do the mitzvah? You never hear that, right? So why is here a reason to think that you might not want to do the mitzvah? Beat me, a big question. You might think you're not going to help. Well, the Torah tells us why. Because the donkey belongs to somebody you hate. If that's the reason why you might consider not helping, then we have a good question. Look one pasuk back and what will you see? What if you encounter your enemy's uh, ox and it's wandering around lost? There the Torah doesn't say, and you might think you shouldn't return it because it's your enemy's animal. The two psukim juxtaposed seem to contradict. Either way you look at it, it doesn't make sense. If there is reason to address the nature of people that they might not want to help their enemies, then the Torah should have addressed it in the first scenario that speaks about enemies. Previous Pasuk. 
And if for whatever reason in the previous Pasuk there was no need to address the possibility that you may not want to do the mitzvah because the animal belongs to your enemy, because frankly, what is the Torah teaching us? Who cares what a person's inappropriate thoughts might be? Like any other mitzvah in the Torah, we never talk about the possibility that maybe somebody doesn't want to do the mitzvah. And we have to now specify, well, you've got to do it anyway. Say, so if you didn't have to explain it, why now are we talking about the possibility that it's the, the, the donkey belongs to someone you hate, so you might not want to do the mitzvah? Why is this relevant? That's what's bothering Rashi. Make up your mind. Is it something that we have to address, in which case we should address it the very first time we encounter somebody who's got a responsibility to their enemy? And if it wasn't an issue there, why is it an issue now? From that, Rashi learns an incredible insight into this pasuk. The v'chadalta, the possibilities of where a person, A, may think that they shouldn't help, and B, where they're entitled not to help, those scenarios are unique to this particular case. That's why Rashi can't just say, and there are times where you don't have to help, and leave it at that, like he does in the case of Ashavas Aveda, and you go do the homework. He has to spell out for us the specifics of when you are permitted to step back. Because Because the scenario, as we know, of the animal belonging to one person, a non-Jew, and the load belonging to a different person, a Jewish person, is unique to our Pasuk, and won't have any relevance in the case of returning a lost object. On their far, because of that state, it's because of this unique scenario that will lead a person to think perhaps they don't have to step in and help. And Rashi is going to explain, well, you have to, unless you have the specific exemptions. Now, right now, that's a little abstract. We're going to explain it in greater detail. Before we do, if the one case that is absolutely unique to our Pasuk is the one with the donkey carrying the load of a Jewish person while the donkey doesn't belong to a Jewish person, why did Rashi also use the example, which is not in the Mechilta and doesn't typically in other sources refer to this Pasuk, and yet he includes it here, the example of the older person who feels it's beneath his dignity to us. Well, not feels, it is beneath his dignity. So to, in them, to explain it, let's first see the structure of how Rashi presents his, his pirush, and then we'll understand the details. By quoting the Midrash, because remember, Rashi first gave us the pshat, you think you don't have to help. And then he said, and Midrash, our rabbis darshan in this way, that it means sometimes you are exempt. So we bring the midrash and Rashi need is is Rashi need Eisen to zog in that second pirush and pasuk. Rashi does not quote the midrash over here because he's giving us a second insight or interpretation. Now as Dos is behemshach from Ereshtem pirush, he wants us to read it as one continuum. The pshat gives us the first insight, and then the midrash rounds it off for us. The drash is mashlim find for the zaytik shverikat in the pshat. The midrash helps settle an issue we might have had reading the pshat. Which also explains why Rashi uses what appears to be a convoluted expression. He says, which could have been, he could have just said that. 
But he says, This is how the rabbis darshan this pasuk. He doesn't say what he normally would say, which is just, Because the Ribmit is Rashi, Madgish Rashi wants to emphasize for us, as the Pirush from Medrash Farzich, if we only looked at the Midrashic interpretation, it would actually be very distant from the simplest reading of the Pasuk. It's not what Rashi normally would quote. In Midrash, that is close to the simple explanation and therefore helpful. Rather, he wants us to know the Midrash quoted here remains in the category of Drash, but it's useful for us understanding the Pshat. If we just link the Midrash to the Pshat, so the Pshat is, big question, you think you have the right not to get involved in the scenario because it's your enemy. And to understand that better, you need to understand what the Midrash says, that there are certain times that you're exempt because that will feed into the psychology to believe, well, maybe then this is one of those times and I'm exempt. To put it into different words, when Rashi quotes the Medrash that says, sometimes you could step back, that answers the question, not so much in the understanding of the simple meaning of the words, but rather the question we had, which is, why here, out of 613 mitzvahs, is there suddenly a concern that a person will think that they are not required to fulfill the mitzvah? So Rashi says, let's explain the psychology of people. Because there are times where you are legally exempt from helping, we all know how skewed human thinking can be. Can I mention sein? person might miscalculate or excuse himself. It won't be the end of the world not to get involved and help. In other words, once he knows that there is a way out, he might say, I have that way out. Therefore, once I know the Medrash, that tells me there are certain times where you are legally exempt from helping to offload that animal. And now I believe that there's a possibility a person may misread what that situation is and if it applies to them, or they may use it as an excuse. Therefore, we understand why the Torah is saying, You think you don't have to do it? No, I saved Tazim, you've got to get involved. Let's explain that in detail. So to work out why the exemptions may lead a person to an excuse not to help, to help us understand that, Rashi tells us what the two scenarios are. One is Aleph He's an older person and it's beneath his dignity. Which illustrated to us, as we've mentioned before, that human dignity overrides the need to help an animal in distress. And of course, if human dignity would override the distress, certainly human weakness would override the distress of the animal. Second scenario, if the animal belongs to a non-Jewish person and the load to a Jewish person, as we mentioned before, that shows us quite surprisingly that our objective over here is not to relieve the pain of the animal, even though that's what you would have expected. 
So now that we know this information, that's why Rashi sticks in over here, not only there are times where there are exemptions, but he says, and there are times where you remain obligated to help the animal. Rashi is not trying to tell us that most of the time, you've got to help. And there are certain times where you're exempt. His blows in Oisnam fallen in these strange scenarios. That's not what he's telling us. Rashi is telling us something fascinating. That the mitzvah to offload an animal is from the outset quite limited. Right from the start, it is known that there are certain exemptions. It's almost as if there's an equal division between times you are required to help and times you are exempt from helping. Now, when a person knows that, when a person knows that the structure of a particular mitzvah has a built-in exit, that's going to really make him think, it must be that this is not the most serious mitzvah, so if I need an excuse, I can find one. So immediately addresses that and says, uh-uh. You think you could excuse yourself from happening, from helping? You have to help. Now this helps us to understand why Rashi first quotes the example of the older person who is beneath his dignity before getting to the one that is only unique to this scenario, the non-Jewish owned Animal with a Jewish owned load. What's the main psychology that would prompt a person to say, Oh, I'm excused from help- helping in this scenario? Will mainly be because he says, Well, that person is beneath his dignity. So maybe it's also beneath my dignity. You can see how a person will mistakenly apply that law to themselves. Whereas the fact that you don't have to help if the animal belongs to a non-Jewish person is that's not the biggest reason. That's a secondary reason why he may think it's not such an important mitzvah. And then it's pretty obvious then why Rashi doesn't use the example of the koyen where the animal is in the cemetery because from them fall that's definitely not an example that will feed into the psychology of looking for an excuse not to help. Firstly, Let's be honest. It's a very rare possibility. As a behemoth, you're going to have a loaded animal. And where is it? In a cemetery of all places. It's an uncommon scenario. And then noch, that the person who finds it is a coin. But pay is weaker, more importantly, as we already illustrated, the main reason why the Koyan doesn't go into the cemetery is because he has two mitzvahs incumbent on him that, don't, that override the single mitzvah of going to help this animal. In other words, it talks to the importance of the purity of a Koyan. It does not talk to the um, lesser importance of offloading an animal. So it's not going to be part of that psychology that says, well, maybe I don't have to offload. Now, with all this information, basically Rashi telling us this is one of those mitzvahs where a person will be inclined to excuse themselves from doing it, and therefore the Torah has to warn us and say, don't make that mistake. 
Damit kommt euch zu, Atheist's Bierfer, was er steht, wo Chadalte, Gamer in unser Passock, Dafka, that gives us an even deeper understanding of why this for Chadalte, this issue of possibly not fulfilling the mitzvah, applies specifically in this case. It's not something that came up in the conversation about the enemy's ox that is lost. Even though there are ways that a person could be excused from but somehow the psychology is not going to be as strong to say, I don't have to return a lost object as the psychology will be to say, I don't have to offload the animal. Why? There isn't really a logical basis to say that because there are exemptions in the case of returning lost items, therefore people will take a more lax attitude towards the entire thing. Because generally speaking, returning a lost object is relatively straightforward. So the person won't be seeking excuses not to do it. In fact, there's a feel-good factor. I'm going to return somebody's lost object. That, that pasuk is talking about what? An ox or a donkey that's wandering around. You don't have to schlep it. It walks. It can carry its own weight. Even in Kiseitze, where it talks about immovable, uh, sorry, uh, inanimate objects that get lost. So what's a big deal to return somebody's uh, garment or whatever it is? So people are not going to look for excuses to get out of things that are not difficult to do. But in our case, by Priko, you're talking about offloading an animal that's carrying a load. That's hard work. So the minute somebody is old enough or dignified enough to be exempt, everybody's going to be looking for their exemption. I'm also old, I'm also dignified, I also have a role, etc. So that's what Rashi is telling us. This is a unique scenario where we suspect the possibility of a person seeking an excuse not to have to do the hard work of helping, hard work physically, offloading, hard work emotionally, it's the person you hate. And the Torah says, well, you don't, have an ex- you don't have an exemption. Rashi also alludes to things that are amazing insights within Torah. And this is one of them. When you consider the Balshemta's interpretation of this Pasuk, where the donkey in the story is actually an allusion to the human body, which is the material side of ourselves. And the Baal Shantav explains that you have to help the donkey. That means that we're not allowed to abandon or break the body in our quest for spirituality by causing self-suffering or by fasting. Rather, the Baal Shantav's chidosh is that we have to refine and elevate the body so that it becomes a partner in our development, not an obstacle to our development. With that in mind, we could appreciate why Rashi gives these two specific examples of where you have an exemption from helping out this animal. One is, the person is already a zakein, they're already a mature individual, and it's beneath their dignity. The second example is, the animal belongs to a non-Jewish person, and only the load belongs to a Jewish person. Why these two examples? Because they are two scenarios which these represent which the Altar quotes in Halacha in Yishulchan Aruch where you it is appropriate to fast 
What are they? Aleph Tanya Shotshuva. If a person is in a Teshuva process and they want to fast in a Teshuva process. Or Beis Tanya Skidele Morik Nafshel Hashem. Or a fast which is there to cleanse the Neshama. You see that also these two approaches to Tshuva that the Altarebbe distinguishes at the end of the first and the beginning of the second parak of Egeres HaTshuva. So, Tanya Shel Tshuva, Zayin Ben Asretzich Vegen Tshuva, Odesh Lemus Al Chatoi. A fast for Tshuva means that a person has done something wrong or is lacking in the service of Hashem and they want to correct it and part of that path is Tshuva, which includes fasting. Rashi alludes to that by describing an animal that is owned by a non-Jew with a load that belongs to a Jew. Because if a Jew, God forbid, sins, that creates a temporary disconnect of their body and animal soul from Kedusha. And they temporarily are controlled by the world of Klippa. The behemoth element, the animalistic element of the person, temporarily belongs to the non-Jewish impure world. But we well know that even the worst sinner of Israel is filled with mitzvahs, like the pomegranate is filled with seeds. A massa for mitzvahs is also they're carrying a load of mitzvahs. This is the behemoth shall nochri. The animalistic part of the person has become captured by the Goyesha world. But he carries a load of mitzvahs wherever he goes. That's the body of Bafratas din Shamofunain is Gambashasachet Oisabomnita is Borech, Ziplaipkans by Midden. And how much more so the Neshama of a person, even while the act of the sin is happening, the Neshama is completely loyal to Hashem and is untouched. So for that you have tiniest tshuva. The person did something wrong. You've got to bring the animal back. You need the, the fasting of tshuva. So generally speaking, you shouldn't break the animal soul. But yeah, the person's got to do tshuva. Okay, so you fast. The concept of fasting after to cleanse the neshama. That's after you've done tshuva. So you've done tshuva and you're still fasting to come to a higher state of purity. Or it could be that a person never sinned, so they never had to go through the tshuva fasting process, and now they only have the upgrading of the neshama process. The person wants to get to this point of cleansing the neshama, so the neshama is so pleasing to Hashem. Could be even in, in an extreme. We could have somebody whose entire life centers on very elevated spiritual focuses. And therefore... So he pretty much overlooks the engagement with the body and refining and transforming the body. So the problem there could be that the person is so engaged in the spiritual, they don't realize the ballast of their body which isn't being uplifted and refined. And therefore the, body, the, the neshama needs a little bit of, uh, of cleansing still. So that's why the person will fast, because the fast will burn off the fat that they're not that they're not cleansing through not refining their body. 
So it's pretty clear that the non-Jewish donkey represents a person in a lower spiritual state than the person who is a zokin v'ne refikvoidai. That's what Rashi alludes to when he gives the example of the person who is a mature adult, but it's beneath his dignity to help out in such a messy situation. That refers to the person who's fasting. Once he is already Zokain, he has already achieved a tremendous amount of insight, knowledge, and wisdom about Judaism. So to get involved in the nitty-gritty of the materialism of the of his nefesh Bahama is to try and transform it. It's beneath his dignity. It would be a major spiritual descent to dirty his hands with his own nefesh Bahamas. So that's why he is exempt. He's exempt from protecting the body. He's allowed to fast because that's going to help refine his body because he personally is not getting down and involved on a personal basis. And that will also explain on a deeper level why Rashi won't use the example of the koyan where the animal is stuck in a cemetery. Because that example in spiritual terms of a koyen and, a, and an animal that's in a, in a cemetery, that's going to be similar to the example of the animal, the animalistic soul, the nefesh abhamis, that got trapped by the non-Jewish world, except it's going to be a more extreme version. D behemah is not this particular animal described here is not only in the in the in, in the ownership under the ownership of a non-Jewish person, but is Ben Akforos, it's in a cemetery. That means that the person has sinned to the extent that their body has now been dragged down to, into a place that is considered a place of impurity and the opposite of life. But the neshama never gets dragged. The neshama is like the koyen or the daughter of a koyen. Always removed from and aloof from that place of darkness and impurity. Because as we mentioned, even as the sin is happening, the neshama is loyal to and connected to Hashem and can't be harmed. Rashi doesn't want to use that example. Rashi would rather use the example of a person who's a zokin is at such an elevated level he doesn't really know how to engage his nefesh abhamis and transform it. Because in spiritual terms they really can't actually be somebody who's stuck in a cemetery. Even the Jewish body which would be represented over here by the animal that's lost or the animal that's struggling the Jewish body is eternal. It can never disappear. So it doesn't belong in a cemetery, a place of death. It says, It's the Abish's handiwork that he takes pride in. And the Abish chose the body, as the Altar says in Tanya. is the body, not, not the Nishama. So therefore, the Abish's choice can never disappear, get lost, be destroyed. He could just temporarily enter into the territory of a non-Jewish person. All that means is the jurisdiction has temporarily changed. That there's a period of time that this person is under the control of the non-Jewish world. But it doesn't change who the person, in this case the body, is. Even at the time of the Avera, the body is a Jewish body, which is a unique thing. 
אז עצם הגוף הנעידן, זוזך ברוכניס, כפילים ממש שנה בייס הכפורס מיסר רוכניס, to suggest that a Jewish body should enter into a space of spiritual death, those kemen itzogen, that, that dare not be said. ואת ערך ההלוכה. You even see this play out in halacha. If a Jewish person is sold to a non-Jewish person, even in a way that the Torah acknowledges, attests to the fact that they're not really the slave of that person. They still belong to Hashem as his, as his servant because as Hashem says, my deed precedes theirs. And that gives us the insight into the two different versions of what Rashi says over here in the Pasuk. If you read in the Pasuk, at simple face values. There's a big question. Would you ever consider abandoning your post when you have a responsibility to help somebody else? Don't you dare. A Jew who lives as he should. The way that they designed people which is to be upright and full of integrity. A Jew who serves Hashem as Torah once, this is the pshat of a Jew. The Torah says, such a person, we ever think they might not want to do what they once? And therefore you can't have it. How dare you think of, of ignoring the body? The pshat of Torah you have to engage the body. That's the pshat. That is the, the normal way, the normative Judaism. Work with the physical, work with the body, work with the nefesh abamis, and elevate it to godness. Then now come to Midrash, and then there's a Midrash which says, when all else fails. That has to do, talk about the people who went off the path, because they do exist. It's not the pshat, but it can happen. Or maybe they didn't veer so far, but they didn't follow exactly. Then we have to look at the possibility that sometimes you're exempt from protecting the body and elevating the body. There's another path. So then we say, look, the reality is that as fast tshuva requires, sometimes a person has to fast. But let's look beyond that. What happens if there's somebody who cannot fast? The gives us a clear instruction in Nowadays, Yes, there is an exemption. Yes, Yes, sometimes you can ignore the body and fast as a path of Chuba, but nowadays... That should be completely limited. Rather give tzedakah to the value of the meals that you miss or would have missed if you were fasting. And especially when you consider the fact that we happen to be weaker generations, this wasn't our choice. That's the way the Eibishter designed this generation. So then Then if we take the approach of the Baal Shem to work with and elevate the body of the Alter Rebbe, give tzedakah instead of fasting and, and the various other teachings of Chassidus about how to deal with the physicality. We will not lack any of the value that you expect to get out of fasting as part of Tshuva. 
But the Reina says, We in this generation were empowered in a unique way that we can correct things that were inappropriate in a path or using a methodology that does not require pain, does not require anxiety. But our path to refinement and to elevation is specifically through additional joy and goodness in our connection to Hashem. And that completely transforms and elevates us.